Happy 2020! It's Cheryl Sitz. And Mari Rosales. Back with another episode of Exploring Possibilities. Our first for this year, and we're recording this one on our first full moon of the year. So this ought to be really interesting. Today, we're going to talk about something that's particularly relevant this time of year, which is grief and loss. We lose a lot of people on this planet at this time, from like Thanksgiving to Valentine's Day. So if you're going through that or know someone who is, you'll find today's show particularly relevant. And our guest also had something that's called a shared death experience. Now imagine accompanying someone you love as they leave this world into becoming starlight. Dr. Sharon Prentice will join us today to share her story. First, I want to let you know, Mario and I are back hosting drumming circles on the full moons. Oh, definitely. It's a fun time. Beat the drum, get the stress out. Yes, absolutely. So you can find out when the next one is. We've got one coming up. Our next one so far is March the 8th on the Labyrinth at White Eagle Lodge in Montgomery, Texas. You can always find out when those are by going to journeyofpossibilities.com slash events. I also have a special offer for my clients this month and new clients this month. I just did one before I came here. You can get a channeling session where we connect with your guides and angels and get some direction for 2020, followed by a vibrational healing session to shake loose everything that no longer serves you. You'll leave feeling so good. Now, this is usually $80, but I'm offering it right now through the end of this month for 60. So just message me if you'd like to take advantage of that. And Mario, what have you got going on? Well, if they go to MarioRosales.com, I actually have a, a new thing I'm doing. It's called Astral Fractals, uh, and I did a podcast here yeah. uh, with you. So find out about it. It's about your birthday, your numerology, and a beautiful art form. And there's three different forms that you can get it in. Find out more information at MarioRosales.com. Yeah, these are great to meditate with. And I even have one as a screensaver on my TV in my living room. I love them. They're fabulous. So maybe that makes me vain. I don't know. I've, I've, I love myself in fractal form. <laughs> no, that's actually perfect. Good. <laughs> so check that out. All right. So on with today's show. Sharon Prentice, PhD, blends over 30 years of personal and professional experiences to expand on traditional psychotherapy, helping us explore the dark recesses to awaken our spirit. Becoming Starlight is her moving memoir about love, loss, different layers and effects of grief, and her shared death experience. You'll find her online at SharonPrentice.com, and she graciously joins us on the heels of the flu. I so appreciate you being with us today, Sharon. Welcome. Well, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. I've actually got my voice back, so this works. (laughs) That's delightful. We need your voice so we can talk about this fabulous book that you wrote. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. I thought it was pretty good myself. Oh, my goodness. I read a lot of books doing this show, and... Uh, this book, I had to keep reminding myself that this is a true story, that I'm going to speak to the woman that lived this story that is so rich with emotion and raw, vulnerable truth. It, it's just powerful. Uh, you must get a lot of reactions to your to your book like that. <laughs> I get hundreds of emails every day mm-hmm. from men and women who have experienced tragedy and trauma that, like me, uh, had absolutely no place in their body that could accept what was happening. You know, there are some things that happened. There's not a hell any place in our our being that knows how to take this in 
and make it, it part of yourself. And, and the emails that, that people send, they share the unbelievable stories of, of just grief and despair and, and hope, um, you know, and, the, and, and they ask me, how do I set my feet, you know, back on the path to get back on some kind of a journey? And I just love the fact that these people share their stories with me because it's so hard to get someone, you know, who's actually been there and experienced the same thing to open up and share it. Because you're right, it's very vulnerable and it's very raw. And most people just smile and say, I'm fine, mm-hmm. you know, and move through it and then go home and cry alone. Or get stuck in one of the stages or, and don't take offense to this as a, as a therapist, but sometimes when they share, if they have a therapy background, it becomes more about the official stages of grief and, and it sounds more, uh, like what should happen or could happen than actual raw experience of moving through the layers. And because you suffer two losses in this book, the layers kind of fold over one another, and I don't know that they ever did happen in the stages that people talk about. Nah, you know, and the reason <laughs> I say it like that, nah, you can tell in, in my attitude about the stages. Um, you know, as a therapist, as you know, you learn all of these things that are supposed to be. This is the way things are supposed to happen. And when you approach life thinking that things are going to happen the way they're supposed to happen. And then when they don't, when that monkey wrench gets thrown in there, you're just left gasping. Uh, I had zero stages to go through. I went through, oh my good Lord, this cannot be happening to, yeah, okay, it did. Um, And it was, there was no rhyme or reason uh, for my grieving and my bereavement and how, how to get through this. And I have discovered uh, that that is the way it happens with most people. It really does. And some of those stages, like closure, for instance, I know I'm probably jumping ahead here, but I never use the word closure with any of my patients. My my patient population is very heavily um, geared toward terminally ill patients and their families. And I do not tell them to look for closure because I honestly feel that by looking for closure, you get stuck in the very thing that you're trying to get out of. And, yes. and so I don't, I, I never go that particular route. It's a very interesting thing watching what happens to people when things do not happen in order. <laughs> yes. Or, I mean, I don't think there's any amount of time that, that we can say, well, you know, expect that you'll be through this much in a year or two. No. It is so unique to the person and the circumstances and, and so many factors, right? Absolutely. You know, the thing that really, I mean, it just irritates me. I mean, it really does. Once again, you can tell my attitude. <laughs> it irritates me when I hear people say, oh, it's time to move on. Or aren't you over that yet? Or let's get you back out there, or the good one here. You're going to have more children, and it 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 is this assumed perception that you're grieving too long, and that is that is just the farthest thing from the reality of what happens when someone faces a trauma and a tragedy that they have no place to put in their soul. Grief can last, and often does last an entire lifetime, the, I'm going to use the word trick, 
the trick is learning how to incorporate that grief and grow around it because you are a changed person forever when something traumatic happens to your life. You will never close it out. You will never get rid of it. That's why I say don't look for closure. But what you have to do is learn to incorporate that into the person you are now. I, I separate it up into before time and after time, mm -hmm. okay? And you are no longer that person you were in the before time. So you have to take that grief, that experience, that, that trauma, make it a part of you, and then grow around it and thrive in spite of that horrific event that happened in your life. That's powerful language. Grow around it. That's a completely different vibration than what we're usually fed with, you know, the moving on, the getting over the, you do, you grow around. That takes away the idea that it's ever going to go away. That's right, it doesn't. Because it's not. Right. It's not going to go away. I, I have spoken with so many people over the decades since this happened to me that were so stuck for so long because they kept looking for what psychology, um, social, whatever, whatever field out there would tell them you have to be done with this. Yeah. Okay. Th this is over now. You have to get back out into the world. The problem with that is that who is it that's walking? That's not the person you were before this trauma happened to you. You don't just, when you go through these type of experiences, you don't just lose I'm talking about death and dying right now. You don't just lose that person. You also lose your identity because your identity was formed by relationship. We all have that. And when a relationship so important to you all of a sudden leaves, whether it is a wife, a child, a husband, you know, someone in your family, someone very, very close to you, all of a sudden when that relationship is just gone, Try walking back out that door and going into the life that you had before. You can't do it. It's impossible. That's why you have to take the experience that you had, try and understand it the best you can, and by understanding, I mean facing the mortality of every single one of us, that one thing that we never want to face. Right. We have to face that mortality and incorporate that into our very being and realize that this is going to happen to us that we have been caused terrible pain by the loss of someone we love. But we also need to understand that we are going to cause that same pain mm -hmm. to the people that we love when they lose us. So incorporating that all into your life makes it so walking out that door is very difficult until you realize that you are now in the after time and the identity that needs to be formed is now the after identity. We really jumped in here, and I feel like some of the audience may be going, this is really great, but I don't even know what she's been through. So I have the benefit of having read your book. So just in a nutshell, you you start the book, and I was just horrified, and, and right there I felt like with you in the loss of your baby right after yes. your baby was born. And from there, the story then moves kind of into you I feel like you were mostly shut down as you were walking to the ocean and watching the water kind of consume itself every day and being kind of almost hypnotized under that dragon tree. Am I right? In the not really able to connect with anybody again because of where that took you? Right, right. 
I didn't want to connect with anyone again. Yeah. You know, as I said a little earlier, there is an order to life, which means there is an order to death. You know, life and death are, you know, they're all part of the deal. Mm -hmm. Can't have one without the other. I didn't realize that. I had never been taught about death. I never knew death. My grandparents, my my great-grandparents were still alive. I had never lost anyone in my life. And so you don't start to learn about death with losing your first child. My daughter died in my arms a few hours after she was born. There was no place, as I said earlier, no place in my entire being, being that made room for that or had room for that. I didn't know where to put it. Right. And when I lost her, I lost me, who I was, everything that I had ever thought I was, everything I believed in, everything I had been taught. All of it just left me in that instant. And I fell into what I now know and I absolutely believe was what they call the darkness of the soul, you know, mm-hmm. night of the soul, mm-hmm. um, because I wandered. I, seriously, I, I wandered. I didn't want to be close to anyone. I didn't. There was no one who knew how I felt. You know, there were people that tried. God bless them. They tried so hard. Even my husband, who was just the most supportive person in the world, he was going through his own grief. Mm-hmm. And looking at him was a constant reminder of what had just happened. And I didn't even want to be near him. And you talk about the dragon tree. That's one of my favorite chapters in the mm-hmm. book. It's called the cliffs, the cliffs of La Jolla, yes. um, which is a place right outside of San Diego. And I, I happened on La Jolla and one of my wandering trips daily when I just wanted to stay away from people. And I found that old cracked cement ba- be, uh, bench underneath that dragon tree. And that place became my life watching, you know, the ocean and the waves and the the birds and the sea life. And, and it was just this beckoning call to me that this is life. You know, this is life come back. And I know that sounds somewhat dramatic, but for someone who has totally lost themselves and has no way, no wherewithal to finding the way back, that for me became home base. You know, it really did. It became home base. And then of course the, the next few years were very traumatic also because my husband, who was military, was also getting sick. Well, that's Make- what I was going to say. Like, that was, yeah. uh, there. you do such a powerful job in this book of time kind of loses. I, I don't know how much time is passing. I'm walking with you every day to the beach, and I'm I'm going through the the time, the, the emotions that you share and the layers that you share. I'm with you in this story. And... And so suddenly when we hit on the part where your husband is, is through his experiences in the military, he's been exposed to radiation and he is diagnosed pancreatic cancer. I feel how that jolts you from this almost hypnotic, just La Jolla and back every day and wishing, wishing the time would just go away. And, and all of a sudden the person that means the most to you in the world, you find out you've got a limited amount of time with him and you're jolted by the time that you've missed with him by grieving your, I mean, the whole thing just seems like this horrible sentence that you've been given. Yes, I actually, you know, that that's a really good way of putting it. I've never used those words to describe it before, but that 
that's perfect. I thought that God was out to get me. Mm-hmm. I really did. I became, in my thoughts, in my heart, I thought God and death were playing this really cruel game with me, mm-hmm. and they were out to get me. And when my husband got sick and we landed in the hospital for an extended period of time, the the thing that happened to me, and this is going to sound very strange to a lot of people, from a wanderer, which I was, I became someone who was in total control. Let me back up. Who thought I was in total <laughs> control of life. I had set up this, what I call an existential battle with God and death, and I was determined to win because I was not about to give over my husband also. They had taken enough from me. And I was not going to give them my husband. So like I said, I set up this war, this battle, and I was going to control everything with an iron fist. Yeah, well, it didn't work out so well. Um, But it did give me the opportunity to get out of, I traded despair for control or the the, uh, feeling that I had control, both of them were Mm. damning to my soul. Yeah. But walking through that grief almost killed me. So when I was presented with this other dilemma, if I had tried to walk through that with grief, I would have probably died before he did. And it was then that I decided, all right, you're going to come for me. I'm going to get you first. So that gave me another avenue to try and, and find something that was left of me. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And your strength through that story. And, and when I say strength, I don't mean this warrior fighter, although I saw that in parts in this book, definitely. I mean, this vulnerable, beaten down woman that's not going to give up pulling herself through all these layers of emotions and, and whatever the hell is being handed our way next. Like, that's what I mean by strong. It's the yeah. strength of vulnerability and of just the human condition that you personify so well in the book. I actually pulled something aside before the, today's interview because it was funny. I was reading your book in preparation for the interview, and I was at a bookstore, and I picked up a copy of Osho's The Art of Living and Dying. And I bought the book that day because I stumbled across this paragraph in one of the first few pages. And I wanted to read the book. I will read the book, but I also wanted to share this little paragraph on today's interview. This is Osho, The Art of Living and Dying. Stupid people ask about God. The intelligent person asks about death. The people who go on asking about God never find God. And the person who asks about death is bound to find God because it is death that transforms you, changes your vision. Your consciousness is sharpened because you have raised a real question, an authentic question, the most important question of your life. You have created such a great challenge that you can't remain asleep for long. You will have to awake. You will have to be alert enough to encounter the reality of death. That is what you talk about throughout the rest of your book, this personal journey that you went through of of denying God, being angry at God, finding God, going through this shared death experience. You've walked that. Uh, Did I write that? (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm going to steal that. This is just, oh my gosh. You know, I tell people all the time, my greatest teacher was deaf. Mm -hmm. It changed me forever. My life and the life of my entire family and my community, they were all changed by the lives and the deaths of my daughter and then, of course, my husband. I am the person I am today because of what death taught me. And, and that what he wrote, what that book writes about is the absolute truth. I didn't know God. I mm -hmm. thought I did. You know, I learned the same stuff that everybody else learns, you know, when you're sitting down in the, you know, down in the church and you're looking up at the guy behind the pulpit and you, you take in everything that he says. And I thought that God was with this outside entity, you know, that was watching everything I did. And if I did anything wrong or said anything wrong, he was going to throw lightning bolts at me. Um, and then when my, when I realized that, that my daughter was in jeopardy, I called out to this outside being that I had been talked about and I begged and I bargained and everything you can think of. And, and she died anyway. And it was then that I realized that what I had believed in was absolutely false. Um, and yes, I set up this, this war with this, this thing that I wasn't even sure what it was or where it was or if it even was. And death taught me at the moment of my husband's death exactly what and where and who and how and all of those, all of those questions that I had had that I wasn't even able to form. Death showed it to me and totally changed my being. Uh, to this day, uh, I've never questioned what I learned and, and what I saw because it has become my truth and my way of being in this world. Talk a little bit about, I don't want to give away the book because I know, we, I mean, okay. really, anybody that's listening to this interview that's feeling some resonance to this conversation, read Becoming Starlight. This is one of the best books I've read in years, and I read a lot of books. So talk a little bit about that. What is a shared death experience as you define it? And what was that experience like in terms of how it changed your life and what you experienced? A shared death experience is almost identical to a near-death experience. And you'd have to be living under a rock to not to know what a near-death experience is. The only difference is that in the shared death experience, a person is, the way I explain it is you are invited along to witness the aftermath of physical death. There is nothing wrong with you. You are well. You are you know, not experiencing death or anything, you know, of your own being, you are simply invited along to get a peek into foreverness. That's what I call it, a peek into foreverness. And at the moment of my husband's death, a few things happened in that room that were absolutely unexplainable, both medically and spiritually. The room had a lot of people in it, our oncologists, my parents, a couple of nurses, me, and the things that happened, no one has been able to explain medically. But at the moment of his death, he breathed out and I breathed in at the same time because I honestly thought that I had won this battle. And I didn't realize that that breath he breathed out, I breathed that breath in and I could feel it going through my lungs. And it was when I opened my eyes 
during that very second, I realized that he had died. And I literally fell to the ground. I had, I just lost every bit of muscle control I had in my body. And I know this sounds like it's like 10 minutes long, but it all happened instantaneously. Something, I've always said, something lifted me, powered me. Um, it was not my own will. And I found the floor I was standing on beginning to disappear and the, and the ceiling became mist and the walls started disappearing. I know this sounds strange, but what I noticed the most were the stars. That's why the book is called Becoming Starlight. Billions and billions and billions of stars, Cheryl, just came at me. I could see each one of them separately and distinct. And yet they formed one massive light. I don't say it was a white light because it was a color I'd never, ever seen before. I, I've never been able to explain it. And I have to tell you that within that light, I felt a presence. I have described it as a place I knew. It was, I had been there before. I knew that place and it was so overpoweringly comfortable and peaceful that I, I went gladly. I went right into that light and I don't know where I began and the starlight ended starlight ended, and I began. I, I just know that I became part of something, part of that presence that, that was within the stars. And the most amazing thing, my husband was standing there. He was right there in front of me and he was no longer sick. He was standing there smiling and staring at me and I was staring at him and we spoke to each other and I was not, I was not allowed to move. I, I know that sounds somewhat strange, but I was not allowed to move. He was moving, but I was being held. I was being cocooned by this presence that was beyond love, beyond comfort, beyond peace, beyond joy beyond every human emotion that there is a name for. This presence was beyond all of that. And all it was doing was loving me. Just me. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to say anything. I didn't have to be anything. I just was. And I was in the presence of something that loved me beyond anything I could ever describe. That presence I know now was the very presence of God. I have no doubt about that. Some people will call it creation. Some call it source. Some call it universe. You can call it whatever you want. I call it God. That's where I came from. I, I learned that I was his very thought and he breathed life into that thought. That's why I exist. That's why you exist. That's why we all exist and we are all part of this starlight. We are all part of this presence that is so overwhelmingly wondrous that I, I can't describe it. I tried very, very hard to stay there, but I knew that I had no business being there beyond that, that the reason that I was taken there. And I, I really think I was taken there for three reasons. One, I think Steve's love for me was as great as mine was for his, for him. And when he got to that place, I call it that place. Um, he said, you know, let's throw her a bone <laughs> so she can see what's 
going on because if you don't, I don't know that she's going to survive this. <laughs> I, think yeah. that's, I think that's the first reason that I was allowed this, this, this blessing. And number two, I think at the moment of his death, the sound came out of me that everyone told me that I believe ended up being like a sacred word. And, you know, sacred word takes you into the presence of creation. Mm-hmm. It takes you into the presence of God. And I think that that sacred word, I was able to tap into that divinity that is within all of us in that heart of heart, you know, what the mystics call where where your divinity lives. So I think it was those three things. Uh, I've thought about this a lot that allowed me to have that experience. But being in that place, standing in that presence, being cocooned by that that emotion that to this day I still cannot describe completely altered my way of being in the world. Wow. I, I can't even imagine. Well, I, I kind of can, but I, wow. So how do you come from that experience and go back to the, the part in your story where you were so angry that a God would take your baby and then go to a place where you know that there's a God and it's not even a question anymore. How do you correlate that for the mom that's lost her baby that's so angry at God? Where right. was that all loving presence and what do you do with that anger and how does that change the way you view that, if it does at all? You know, it, that is, that's such a good question, Cheryl. And I really do have a difficult time explaining that to people. The only thing that I can say to people, and I say this every day, I did nothing to get rid of that bitterness and that anger and that, that anguish and despair. That was all taken from me. And what I learned, what was given to me, was the knowledge that Everything was exactly the way it was supposed to be. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt where my daughter is. Mm -hmm. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt where my husband is. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I will be with them again. You know, time here is very, very different. (laughs) I am going to say that time is not linear and that where I was, there is no time. So for us, it seems like, you know, a hundred years for our loved one. It's, Hey, where have you been? It's, it's a same time. And, you know, that's why I say incorporate that grief. You understand that life and death, they go together. You cannot have one without the other and facing that immortality and facing the fact that what we are told all our lives about this specific order of the way things are supposed to be, that is not what happens. And so being able to accept your own immortality and even more importantly, being able to accept the, the mortality of the people you love is all important in order to survive these things. I'm not talking about closing them out, and I'm not talking about letting go of the grief. I'm talking about surviving them. For me, I use my experience to tell people. Now, it's up to them whether they want to believe me or not. They can believe. That's great. They cannot believe. That's okay, too. But I use my experience to say to them, your loved ones are fine. Your loved ones are so incredibly encompassed by such an overwhelming 
overwhelming magnificence that you don't have to worry about them. And what they want for you is to do your very best, remember them, love them, do whatever you can do to keep them alive in this human condition that you are stuck with, knowing all the while that they are fine and they are well and you are all going to be together again. That is not the final answer for people, especially people who have lost children, but giving someone hope, giving someone hope, that's the thing that I try to do every single day in my practice. I can't take away the grief. I don't even try because I know it's not possible. I just try to help them incorporate it into their lives and find hope again so that they can continue on with their journey. And that is the most important thing, I think, is to find the hope again when you've had it disappear completely. And I oh, yeah. I, I went yeah. back to that part of your story because God, when you, when you, you're with your soulmate or whatever you want to call him, when you're com- with that person that you love so completely that nothing can diminish that loss. But right. I truly feel like the greatest loss that we could ever suffer is the one we never expect to, to have is, is, is of our own child. And so yes. those are the people that above all else, I just, I don't even try and find where there are no words. Just, I just hug them and, and, and wow, I just can't even imagine. So to give them hope is the greatest gift you could give. And I'm not sure it makes it worth what you've been through, but it does warm my heart to know that you've taken these, these painful experiences and, and dedicated your life to helping others move through them in a positive way and find hope again. You know, Cheryl, it, it's one of the things that I did learn is when to shut my mouth. I know that sounds funny, but I see people every day struggle with what to say, what to do, what, what, do, what do I do? And I tell people all the time, you don't have to say anything. Mm-hmm. Just be there. Yeah. Seriously, just be there. Take them a casserole, whatever. Keep them eating. You know, eat, drinking is more important. I have to have people hydrated. But <laughs> sometimes it's, it's so much better to not say a word, you know, it's in the eyes. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, it, it's in the eyes. And when my eyes lock on to someone who is experiencing the same things that I went through, we don't, we don't have to talk. We don't have to talk because there are seriously, there are no words. You know, it's like when you lose a parent, you're an orphan. When you lose a spouse, you're a widow yeah. or a widower. There is no word in any language on this earth that has ever been invented for what you are when you lose a child. So there are no words that you can give to someone who has experienced that, that is going to take that away. All I can do is sit there with them and assure them. And I I use the word assure because I really mean that, that their child is in such a magnificent presence that it it really it is hard to explain it so the only way I can do it like I said is to share my experience and to assure them that this is something that is so much greater so much greater than we could ever in this condition that we are in this human physical thing that what is waiting for us is so much grander than we could ever imagine. And it's another reason I never use the words unconditional love. I actually laugh when I hear people say that. 
because it's so much, it is so far beyond unconditional love um, that it, it's, it's, it's really, to me, it's laughable. Um, mm-hmm. There's no such thing, as far as I'm concerned, on this earth about unconditional love because everyone has expectations of everyone else. Um, that's just the way of the world. Yeah, it is. Wow. I, you know, by the way, I just have to tell you, your voice doesn't at all sound like you've had the the flu or anything else. Oh, I'm so glad I've been sounding like, you know, I have a, a, a clothespin over my nose um, for so long. And I'm, I'm really glad I didn't go into any coughing spells or sneezing spells here. You sound uh, great. I think I think the, that uh, the God of, of our understanding is definitely with you as you bring this message forth for more people to, to access. I have a friend from high school who's lost a couple of, of babies and I just can't know what that feels like, but it was her mother who came and sat with me when I lost my mother and people fumbled around for words to say to me and, and she just came and for, for days sat and held my hand and said nothing unless I wanted to talk. If I wanted to remember mom, she'd remember mom. And otherwise she just held my hand and she knew that being there and just holding me in love was the greatest gift of all. But sometimes we're not even ready for that. Sometimes we need our, you know, I mean, we just, we are where we are. So I think letting people also be wherever they're at and not judging that. You know, that is very, very true. And I, I, one of the things that I have to be very careful of, I, like I said before, I, my, my patient population is heavily, heavily directed at the terminally ill and their families. And I never, if I can help it, I never let anyone die alone, ever, ever. I'm always in the room. And it, it sometimes gets difficult when I have two and three patients um, going through, you know, this journey at the same time. But I'm always with them and I have to watch myself because you know what my first instinct is when someone, when, when their, their spirit has left the body, you know, my first instinct, Hmm. I smile. I do. I my first thought is now they know they're there. So I actually have to turn, walk out of the room. I tell the family, I'm going to give them, you know, a few minutes alone with, with their, their loved one. And I go out in the hallway and sometimes I even do a little bit of dancing. You know, I just dance. I just do a little jig and I say, you're there. You're there. Find my husband and my daughter's flow. I mean, I seriously do because death is the most sacred moment in anyone's life. It's not birth. It's death because you're going home. Think about that. You're going home. There's nothing more sacred than going and sharing that. With, with the number of people that I have shared it with has so blessed my life. Um, and that's why I wrote Becoming Starlight, because my patients asked me to please share it so that then when we weren't together, years from the death of whoever it was that, that they are probably still mourning, they have something to pick up and, and read, because I share my story with every single one of my patients. I do it the very minute they say to me, should I, should I be afraid? And every one of them says to me, should I be afraid? The very minute they say that, I climb into their bed with them, whether it's hospital, hospice, uh, um, hospice or home hospice, whatever it may be, crawl up into bed with them, and I say, let me tell you a story. That's actually, I mean, that's really, really true. I know the last last chapter in the book is, uh, should I be afraid? 
And I stayed in there that I crawled into bed with them. And a lot of the administrators in the hospital say, you can't do that. And I'm like, yeah, right. Whatever. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't care anymore. I've done this for decades and they can say what they want. Um, but I know what, what people need to hear and they need to hear that story and so many other stories like mine. Yes. So I think your friend just sitting with you and the loss of your mom. I lost my mom two years ago and I lost my dad 10 years ago and they were my absolute rock and my foundation and their deaths, although extremely grievous, I also smiled. Matter of fact, I told both of them right before they took their last breath, Steve's waiting for you. Go home. Wow. Dr. Sharon Prentice, we're talking about becoming starlight, surviving grief, mending the wounds of loss. What a powerful book. You know it because you've lived it and you share it so open heartedly to help others realize that what we feel is the saddest moment is, is something entirely different on the other side. And sad is okay here, but that's not what our loved ones are feeling when they leave. So thank you for sharing all that you do. And I like to I hate that we're already time to wrap up. This has been an amazing conversation. Thank you, especially on the heels of the flu, for making time to be with me today. <laughs> Thank you so much. I wanted to make time to be with you, especially after I read your bio. You are an amazingly, wonderfully spiritual woman. and You're my kind of gal. So I, I, I like this. this. This is very good. And thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. So I like to wrap up by asking, after everything that we've talked about today, do you have a parting thought that you'd like to leave us with? Oh, my gosh. Let's see. Which one do I pull out of my hat here? Um, you know, this is going to sound so cliche. You just got to love each other. Doesn't that sound cliche? <laughs> no one is prompt. Seriously. Seriously, Cheryl. Even next moment. And regrets are, they kill people. Regrets kill people. And so I tell everyone, you know what? All of this stuff, all of this, I'm going to use the word crap, that we tell ourselves to keep us apart from each other all the time. Just get rid of it. I mean, seriously, it doesn't mean anything in the long run. It doesn't. We are all in this together. We all live. We all die. We're all going to feel pain. So in between all of that, the only important thing that matters and the only thing that survives is love. I know that's cliche, but it's the absolute truth. You know, some of the greatest truths in life are the cliche ones. Isn't that ironic? <laughs> yeah. I, and we all miss them. We go right past them yeah. because, you know, that primitive ego, right? Yeah. We have to be right, we have to be right, and we have to be acknowledged as right. And if we are not acknowledged as right, then we start judging and we start pushing people away and we miss that all-important thing that makes our lives worth living. And that's the togetherness and, and being, you know, that thread that combines the entire tapestry of the universe. That's the important thing. Absolutely. I could not have started this year off with a better interview, a better conversation, or a better guest. This has been extraordinary. I'm just covered in goosebumps, and I'm feeling my loved ones on the other side that are going, yes, listen to all this. This is exactly how it is over here. <laughs> well, it is the way it is. I mean, some people look at me like, ooh, and that's okay. That's okay, because they'll find out. 
Yes. They'll find out, and then they'll say, "Hey, she wasn't so crazy after all." <laughs> so get out. Know, so. <laughs> well, I hope to meet you in person one day. But until then, thank you so much. Yes, I've I've really enjoyed having you on the show. And listener, let us know what you thought of this conversation. We always welcome your feedback and throw a little financial support our way too, so we can keep the show going. You can do all of that at journeyofpossibilities.com/support. And this is Cheryl Sitz saying we'll see you next week on Exploring Possibilities.